0: and welcome to episode 89 of real life ghost stories how you do to kick things off this week we need to thank our newest patreon subscribers we would like to thank megan adams
1: christy depoli
0: hannah shwetchenko
1: francis hossack
0: lanza m teague
1: nicole mizgowski
0: hasna nelson
1: amanda kirsten kay Shauna mason
0: game till five Nikki
1: jacqueline lapellerie
0: scott martin
1: Melon Bobby.
0: Michelle Reynolds.
1: Lauren E. Ball.
0: Rebecca Brink.
1: Katie 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 Katie. Sorry if I just <laughs> deafened anybody, but that's how it's written.
0: Coyote Bailey. Amy Smith. Helen C. A.
1: And Jermaine Leonesson.
0: So sorry, Jermaine, who?
1: Lenesson. <laughs> 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 I'm sure that you don't pronounce it that that Franco, but that's the way i'm going for it
0: we also have a birthday this week we would like to say a massive gorgeous wonderful happy birthday to liz bisco from us obviously most importantly yes
1: tiny bim as well
0: tiny bim even more importantly and also less importantly from brendan
1: <laughs> <laughs> that, that sounds like brendan's not really important in that happy birthday I, I feel like he's playing a bigger role than you gave him no 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 <laughs> We've also got key worker shout outs, so we had one last week, a couple last week, and we've been doing this a lot through lockdown, just to say thank you to the people that are still working, keeping us going in this lockdown period. This week we're going to shout out to Forrest, they are a medical assistant at a trauma hospital and they have worked the COVID tents and also on fireworks injuries for the 4th of July, wow, that comes from Sophia and obviously from us, massive thank you for what you do.
0: Yeah, and like obviously, working the COVID tenses was probably crazy, and still is crazy. I don't know what I'm saying was in the past tense, but fireworks injuries Oof. are insane. Yep. Ugh.
1: Yeah, i not. I don't really like fireworks.
0: They're illegal in Ireland. There you go, little fact mm. for you. And our film review this week, our film review is Pie Wacket. was released in 2017. It has 5.8 out of 10 on IMDb and 82% on Rotten Tomatoes. Would you like a synopsis? I would. A frustrated, angst-ridden teenage girl awakens something in the woods when she naively performs an occult ritual to evoke a witch to kill her mother. What were your thoughts on this film?
1: Well, before we get to the film, I'd like to talk about that synopsis a little bit.
0: Okay, go ahead. Because
1: I feel like you're not really naively awakening something if you're conjuring it up, are you?
0: Yeah, I mean she made a conscious choice. <laughs> yeah. She she absolutely made a conscious which choice involved... to go into the woods, which involved <laughs> gathering materials for this spell. And
1: shedding her own blood. So yeah. yeah I'm, I'm not so sure about the naivety of it. It wasn't
0: it. like she found a book and read the words out loud, Oh shit, <laughs> yeah. shit, it's a demon. <laughs> yeah. I should have known. No, no, no. She made she made a very, very distinct choice to yeah. conjure that demon. This film
1: I wasn't overly impressed with it when we finished watching watching it. However, it bled into my dreams last night, which may, makes me think that maybe it shook me a little bit more than I thought it had.
0: I found it very slow. And like, I was that angsty teenager, you know? Like, she had a heartogram on her bag. She loved death metal, You're you know? your mom. This is the thing, right? Never once did I try and conjure a demon to kill my mum. And if I did, I have an Irish mammy. Both me and that demon would have ended up dead, not my mum. Do you know what I mean? That is absolutely not what would have, how that would have gone down. The law of Irish in, mammies. In my world. So there's a limit to your angst-ridden nature, I think. You know, and conjuring a demon to kill your ma is where I draw the line.
1: I think it just... I think the, the point was trying to show us how young the character was, really.
0: And how naive she was and yeah. how, you know, ridiculous the whole situation because was.
1: Because as it sort of signposted the whole way through, she ended up realising that... Killing her mum was a bit extreme for her mum wanting to her to move schools. Her mum wasn't the nicest of characters. She was very... Andrea from Walking Dead annoying. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, it was...
0: But it is very teenage, though, isn't it? You have a tight knit group of friends, and if anybody asks you to leave that group of friends, it is the end of your fucking world.
1: Yeah, and I feel like she's already been through quite a bit anyway. That character losing her dad and stuff. So, like, I get it. Poorly I don't, executed. Don't, I don't mess with black magic film, wasn't it? Really.
0: Somebody posted in the Facebook group this week where they said that they they believe that actually we should be remaking films that had a really good story but poor execution. Yes, And this is one of those films. I think, actually, it could have been a lot better. And it just was actually was a bit boring.
1: It was too slow to build to get to the bit that was interesting, I think. That was the problem. Because we had a lot of like exposition of her going to school and hanging out with her friends. And that she was a little bit alternative. And that she had a demonology obsession. And that one of her friends had a cool haircut. And, <laughs> you know, that's... <laughs> We spent a lot of time doing that and then we had a very sort of intense few moments where this this being came to get her mum. And then it got very confusing.
0: Yeah, I didn't really understand what was happening at the end. I don't want to talk too much
1: because I don't want to ruin it.
0: Yeah, I I do think it fell apart at the end. You're right, it was too slow for three quarters of it and then it just fell apart at the end.
1: I liked that we didn't really see the entity. I know there was one bit where you were like a bit annoyed.
0: Yeah, there was there was a bit where I was annoyed, but there was also a bit that was genuinely really frightening, where you get a glimpse of the entity, and I was like, "What the fuck <laughs> is that? No, I don't need to see that." It was yeah, I mean, it wasn't it wasn't terrible, but it also was just quite a slow film and had great promise and could have been a lot better. Yeah, that's
1: the thing; it could have been horrendous, like in a good way.
0: So, what are you going to give this film at five?
1: I'm going to go with two and a half again.
0: I'm going to agree. Two and a half. So that is pie-whacket. it. a half from both of us.
1: So me and Dave talk a lot about whether this movie, if this movie was on TV, would we watch it? Like if we just happened to flick the channels and it was on, would we watch it? I don't think there was enough to make me want to watch it again.
0: No, I think I would have, because it was so slow, I think Mm. I would have gotten bored.
1: Whereas there are some other movies that we've sort of rated around the area where if they came back on, I'd be like, yeah, I might just sit through this.
0: Because they were genuinely funny in parts. This wasn't. So our story this week. I was really uninspired this week and I couldn't think of a good story. And I settled on about 17 different stories and then hated them all.
1: And I was my usual usual helpful self bringing nothing to the table.
0: So I was going through our emails for our 30 days of terror. And I came across this absolute little gem from Josie. And this is a really well-known story, but it just wasn't in the front of my mind. Mm, and I okay. thought, hey, I know a bit about this story, but I don't know loads about it. And this is the perfect episode. So, Josie, thank you so much for the recommendation. Are you ready?
1: Oh, so this isn't Josie's story?
0: No, this is a real story. So she emailed me and said, hey, I really like this story. Here's some links oh, to okay. to it. Oh, no. Okay. Okay. Are you ready? No. John Bell, a farmer from North Carolina, along with his wife and children, settled in northern Robertson County, Tennessee in 1804. Their farm consisted of 320 acres of rich farmland that laid along the Red River. They lived a quiet, peaceful life here for the first 13 years. They were members of the Red River Baptist Church, where John became a deacon The family grew and became somewhat prosperous. But in 1817, their lives would be suddenly and inexplicably turned upside down when, for the first time in US history, a spirit would be blamed for a recorded death of a human being. In 1817, John Bell was tending to his crops in his fields. There was a slight breeze that was making the crop whisper and cooled the sweat on his brow. Field work was often back-breaking, and John straightened his body to stretch his tired muscles. When he looked up, he realized that he was being watched, but not by a person, and not by an animal he had ever seen before. He was being watched by a creature that was covered in black fur, a creature with the body of a dog, and the head of a rabbit. This was unlike anything John had ever seen before, and in a panic, he grabbed his gun and fired off several rounds at it. He missed, and the creature vanished. John was perplexed, but also not particularly concerned. It had been a long day of hard work in a hot field. He was sweaty and probably dehydrated and overtired, so he put this strange encounter with the unknown beast to the back of his mind. In the days after the incident, the family began to hear strange noises. At first, they thought it was rainfall, not unusual in the sixth rainiest state in the US. But they began to notice that the sounds seemed to come in concentrated bursts, rather than the continuous pitter patter of rainfall. They realised that the sound was stones being hurled at the house, which would be sometimes interspersed with the boom of a rock pounding against the walls. John didn't link the strange creature to the assault of rocks, and believed that the source was human, and that there was obviously a logical explanation. That was until the sounds began to happen inside their house. No sooner had the sounds begun than the events began to escalate, the booms and thuds would reverberate through the house at all hours of the night. They would hear frantic scratching as though a creature with long, sharp nails was desperately trying to get through the walls. They would hear the sounds of teeth gnawing at the legs of their beds at nighttime. Rats. It had to be rats, John assumed. He set traps. He lay awake waiting for the sounds to begin. But to no avail. He could never find the source of any of the noises that were now keeping the household awake most nights. Elizabeth Bell was 14 years old, and a bright and precocious young thing. No one expected that the escalation of the events would begin to centre around her, in a dramatic and physical way. The sounds were the new normal for the family, and they had chosen as a collective to ignore whatever was making them, in the naive hope that they would eventually just go away. Elizabeth awoke one night, to the usual gnawing and knocking sounds, and lifted her head to see if she could finally catch the perpetrator. As she raised her head, she was met with a sharp pain in her scalp, and the inability to raise her head any further than a few inches. Confused and still half asleep, she began to squirm, but realised that that her hair was being held by an unseen force she panicked screaming and was slapped repeatedly in the face her family hearing her desperate cries rushed to her aid and were horrified by what they saw elizabeth's hair had been tied tightly to her bedposts and she had vivid red welts on her face in the shape of a handprint The younger of the Bell children soon began to feel the effects of the unseen force and welts in the shape of handprints would rise suddenly on their faces and legs too. Interestingly, the members of the Bell household never told a soul about what was happening and John Bell had never told his family about his experience with the strange creature some weeks before. It is now widely believed that John Bell's rabbit-dog hybrid was the first sighting of the creature, but it definitely would not be the last. The slaves of the Bell household approached John in fear. One of them had been followed home, flanked by a large black dog the likes of which he had never seen before. Others had seen giant non-native birds that seemed to be actively watching their activities. The eldest Bell's son also witnessed a giant bird perched in a treetop. They were all too afraid to tell each other and had kept quiet until the events in the house had escalated to a point where it felt unsafe to remain quiet. John Bell was frightened now and he and his family desperately prayed to be rid of this vile spectre. Elizabeth, who seemed to remain the centre of the torment, Witnessed a human apparition. While walking in a field alone, she saw in the distance what seemed to be a little girl. As she approached it, thinking it was a neighbouring child, she realised that what she was seeing was a small woman dangling by her arms from the branch of a tree, giggling at Elizabeth. She promptly vanished into thin air. It wouldn't be long before the family would receive the identity of the creature. John Bell had had enough and confided in a neighbour. The Johnston family arrived at the house to help to pray in an attempt to rid the house of whatever was plaguing the family. After days of praying, James Johnston demanded to know the name of the entity and a disembodied voice snarled, Kate, from the shadows. Word began to spread about the strange haunting and people arrived from far and wide to get an eye or an earful of the spectre. Initially quiet, soon the entity had no problem demonstrating its power to the gathering crowds and made its disdain for John Bell in particular very much known. General Andrew Jackson was in the local area and word reached him of this strange phenomena occurring by the Red River and along with his army comrades, he decided to pay the Bell House a visit. A chapter in M. V. Ingram's 1894 book, An Authenticated History of the Famous Bell Witch, considered by many to be the best account of the story, is devoted to Jackson's visit. General Jackson's party came from Nashville, with a wagon loaded with a tent, provisions, etc. Bent on a good time and much fun investigating the witch. The men were riding on horseback, and were following along in the rear of the wagon as they approached near the place, discussing the matter, and planning how they were going to do up the witch. Just then, travelling over a smooth, level piece of road, the wagon halted and stuck fast. The driver popped his whip, whooped and shouted to the team, and the horses pulled with all of their might, but could not move the wagon an inch. It was dead stuck, as if welded to the earth. General Jackson commanded all men to dismount and put their shoulders to the wheels and give the wagon a push, but all in vain. It was no go. The wheels were then taken off one at a time and examined and found to be all right, revolving easily on the axles. General Jackson, after a few moments thought, realising they were in a fix, threw up his hands exclaiming by the eternal boys it is the witch then came the sound of a sharp metallic voice from the bushes saying all right general let the wagon move on i will see you again tonight the men in bewildered astonishment looked in every direction to see if they could discover from whence came the strange voice but could find no explanation to the mystery The horses then started unexpectedly of their own accord and the wagon rolled along as light and smoothly as ever. That night, Jackson's covers were ripped off as quickly as he could put them back on and he had his entire party of men slapped, pinched and they had their hair pulled by the witch until morning when Jackson and his men decided to hightail it out of Adams. Jackson was later quoted as saying, I'd rather fight the British in New Orleans than to have to fight the Bell Witch. While many who encountered the Bell Witch seemed to incur her wrath, John Bell's wife Lucy did not. She seemed to be loved and respected by the witch, the extent of which was as baffling as the phenomena itself. Lucy was diagnosed with pleurisy, a common lung condition which at the time had a high mortality rate. And while bedridden, the bell witch would softly sing gospel hymns to her and hazelnuts and grapes would materialise out of thin air. Little gifts for Lucy from this strange spectre. Lucy improved and went on to make a full recovery. But as she recovered, John Bell declined. And eventually, on December the 20th, 1820, John Bell died. There are varying reports as to how this happened. In modern terms, it looks for all the world like John Bell had a stroke and his health went downhill. But when he died, he was reported to have a strange sweet smell radiating from his mouth. A vial was found in Bell's medicine cabinet which contained a cloudy liquid with the same pungent smell. No one in the Bell household had ever seen this vial before and in order to test the tenuous theory that John Bell had been poisoned the family and onlookers fed some drops of the strange liquid to their cat who quickly perished. Fingers began to point at Lucy Bell until the disembodied voice of the bell witch came from the shadows. I fixed his medicine last night and gave him a big dose of it. He will never get out of that bed again. Kate, the bell witch, had mercilessly poisoned John Bell. The witch was quiet in the run-up to John's funeral. There were no unexplained events or voices to be seen or heard until the day of the burial. As John's coffin was being lowered into the ground, a disembodied laughter began to fill the air. The Bell Witch sang drinking songs and loudly celebrated the death of her sworn enemy to the torment of the gathered mourners. With John Bell six feet under, The Bell family believed that they were finally free of the Entity. And they were. For a time. Until Elizabeth Bell received a marriage proposal from a man called Joshua Gardner. For whatever reason, Joshua Gardner was not deemed a suitable match for Elizabeth Bell by the old witch, and the torment began again. Joshua would be plagued when he arrived at the house. And Elizabeth again saw the apparition of the woman in the tree, who this time explicitly told her not to marry Joshua Gardner, and again vanished. Elizabeth was unwilling to risk a life of torment and broke off her engagement with Joshua Gardner. This appeased the witch, and she announced her departure from the Bell family, but said that she would return in seven years' time. She made good on her promise and appeared at the home of John Bell Jr., where it is said she left him with prophecies of future events, including the Civil War, the World Wars I and II. The ghost said it would reappear 107 years later, in 1935. But if she did, no one in Adams came forward as a witness to it. Some claim that the spirit still haunts the area, On the property once owned by the Bells is a cave, which has since become known as the Bell Witch Cave, and many locals claim to have seen strange apparitions at the cave and other spots on the property. But there is more to the story than this. Ten families made that journey to Red River in order to establish a new settled life. And among them were the Bell family, and also the Batts family. It is important that we rewind to those two families, as their relationship which began amicably turned sour and dark, and some believe it is the reason for the strange events that followed. In the mid-1810s, Frederick Batts was horrifically injured in an accident in 1816. This accident left him physically impaired and no longer able to work on the farm as a result. In the early 1800s, an event like this was a one-way ticket to destitution and poverty. There was no social welfare and no way for a woman alone to keep a farm afloat. Whilst neighbours would help out where they could, every one of them were trying to make ends meet and establish a life that would eventually lead to prosperity. Except for the Bells, that is. Because their farm was already doing well. And had already led to an accumulation of wealth for the family. You could say that John Bell had a shrewd eye for a good deal. Or you could say that he preyed on a vulnerable family. But either way, Frederick Batts sold a great deal of his land to John Bell in order to keep his family alive. Kate Batts, Frederick's wife believed that John had exploited Frederick and that he had willingly profited from her family's misfortune. In a bitter standoff, she swore that she would make John Bell pay for all the misery and suffering he had caused her family. While Kate Batts was attempting to manage her home, there were whispers in the community that she was a practising witch. She was loud, intimidating, brash, vocal and sometimes spiteful and people in the local area were genuinely frightened of her. In all this time that John Bell was in the crosshairs of Kate Batts he also managed to make an enemy of Benjamin Batts, her brother-in-law and a strident and well-respected member of the Batts family. The story is convoluted but in its simplest terms, Benjamin believed that John had extorted money from him in what had started as a disagreement over the price of a slave. Rather than curse John via supernatural means, Benjamin decided to take him to court. But in what seems like a really strange move, he never actually informed John that he was being taken to court. The court, in the absence of John to be able to defend himself, naturally sided with Benjamin. Benjamin, And word spread about John's greed and hubris. John, as a result, was excommunicated from the church that he loved. Interestingly, what has often failed to be included in this story is that Lucy Bell, wife to John Bell, was also the aunt of Kate Batts, who swore that she would get revenge on John Bell. There is also the curious addition of Richard Powell. It is widely believed that the haunting was a hoax perpetrated by Richard Powell, the schoolteacher of Elizabeth Bell and Joshua Gardner, with whom Elizabeth was in love. It seems Powell was also deeply in love with the young Elizabeth, and would do anything to destroy her budding relationship with Gardner. Through a variety of pranks, tricks, and with the help of several accomplices, it is theorised that Powell created all of the effects of the ghost to scare Gardner away. Indeed, Gardner was the target of much of the witch's violent taunting. It has never been satisfactorily explained how Powell achieved all of these remarkable effects, But he did come out the winner. Because he married Elizabeth Bell.
1: Creepy school teacher marrying his pupil.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's... Imagine going to those lengths as a school teacher. I know. You fancy a teenager and you're like, I know, I'm going to orchestrate a whole elaborate hoax so that in the hope that she'll fall in love with me and we'll be married. He was also... Richard Powell was also married himself. So nice one Shady. so before we go into theories what are your initial thoughts on the story of the bell witch I
1: think that the creature that was watching John Bell at the beginning of the story was a elemental being who was just observing the land and when John Bell shot at him or it he swore a vendetta or they it swore a vendetta against John Bell's family and that's what The Witch was.
0: Interesting. So you don't think the actual real-life woman who swore revenge on John Bell has anything to do with the haunting. It's the rabbit-dog. You said rabbit,
1: before we got into the theory.
0: Rabbit-dog hybrid. Rabbit, I thought that was a cue for my rabbit. own theories. <laughs> oh, so this is your theory. It's all about the dog-rabbit.
1: Yeah. I think that actually... You know, sometimes when you start beef with people when you don't mean to. Yeah. I feel like this is what's happened. I feel like the little creature thing, the rabbit dog, not the rabid dog, but the rapid, no, not the rapid dog here. Rabbit dog was just watching over its land with these new people moving in. Just seeing what was going on. Mind his own business. And then John Bell, who was obviously a bit tired at the end of the day, started to get freaked out. So fired some shots at it. And then that started this
0: whole paranormal
1: war
0: i i also wonder if you know these entities are limited to what they can turn into because if i was an entity and i had the ability to turn into lots of different creatures i don't know if i'd choose a dog rabbit but i just (laughs) the level of threatening is limited i think i've got
1: a theory about this as well though okay i think You know, sometimes we do things that we do like every day and then we just have a bad day doing it. So you'll drive like the same route nine times out of 10, it'll be fine. But on the 10th time you'll take a wrong turn. Yeah. I feel like that actually this, this entity normally trans, like normally transfigures into a black dog, hence the stories from the slaves and the sun. but happened to be having a particularly bad day and didn't quite get it right.
0: Oh, so, the entity was also feeling quite tired and was doing going through the transfiguration a into
1: a dog, saw a rabbit, thought about the rabbit that it saw, ended up with a rabbit head.
0: That would be very annoying. Yeah, very annoying.
1: And so, normally, he just looks just I keep saying he, but we know, so it, we know it's called Kate, so maybe not. But normally, it just wanders around all the land as a dog and nobody thinks anything of it. But this time, because it didn't quite do that transfiguration properly and it had a weird head, it led to this massive confrontation that went on. And got a future president of the United States involved in it.
0: Yeah, I've got something to tell you about that. We
1: haven't done all the theories yet, so maybe save it.
0: But can I just tell you about the Andrew Jackson bit? Because it doesn't come into any of the theories. Okay. There is no evidence that that happened. It's only referenced in the chapter of that book, this whole story about Andrew Jackson. Apparently, the presidential campaign at the time was particularly brutal, and they were all snagging each other off all of the time, and one of the writers that I read said there is no way that Andrew Jackson would have been able to publicly say I had a row with a witch and it not be used against him in a political slanging match. So that's probably so there's, why there's no other evidence. But here. there is no other evidence. Yeah, that's
1: probably why, because he's got to get elected. You're stressing me out. Let's now. get him on the phone. Um, sorry. Andrew Jackson. <laughs> So I feel like, having gone down that crazy route, let's look at this objectively. Is that the right word?
0: Yeah, do you want me to give you some theories and then you can bounce off them? Or do you want to go with your own theories first?
1: No, give me the theories because it might ruin something if I go in my own ones.
0: Okay, so theory number one is the last thing that I said, which is that Richard Powell orchestrated an elaborate hoax to marry Elizabeth Bell. Maybe. I would be inclined to believe this if the allegations of what happened so like the welts on her face the all the different things that happened weren't so outrageous and the argument is that richard powell was a really well-educated man so he would have been able to fool the family better because he was a well-educated man that's the argument
1: i mean patriarchy um can we come back to this because i've yeah. got something to say about it but i wanted to hear the other theories
0: okay theory number two
1: yeah
0: lucy bell and Kate Batts orchestrated an elaborate hoax to murder John Bell.
1: I think there's probably quite a lot of weight in that.
0: Sounds a lot more likely. And I didn't realise until the very end of my research that Lucy Bell and Kate Batts were actually related.
1: Do you have the birth certificate? Because if you don't...
0: Do you know, I genius. actually I actually do. Oh, well. Would you believe? <laughs> I don't and I have a Ouija it. board so we can talk to <laughs> all of them.
1: No, that's okay. I don't care.
0: Theory number three. Okay. Kate Batts was indeed a witch and summoned an entity to torment and murder John Bell, whom she had sworn revenge against. Possible. Yep, I like that one too. Just because I like it. Number four. Oh, there's a fourth one. There's actually five. Oh, oh, okay. Number four. It was an elaborate hoax orchestrated by the allegedly very attention-seeking Elizabeth Bell.
1: See, I could... I can see some weight behind that, right? Because if she knows about her family's dispute with Kate, it would be easy to do fabricate all that. You can slap yourself quite easily. You can tie your own hair to the bed. Yes. It's just, it's always the little girl's fault. And I just don't, like, I just, I'd like this to be something else.
0: Theory number five. Very little actually happened. But the story has been embellished by retellings over time.
1: I, th- I think this is probably my, this is the one that I'd probably hedge my bets on. Simply because all the way through the story, you were saying how they never told anybody. And then all of a sudden we've got this long winded account by someone that's written a book and roped in a president. And
0: Yeah, apparently for a whole year, they didn't tell anybody because John Bell's reputation had already been destroyed in the community. And he didn't want anybody to think that they were embroiled in some sort of witchcraft thing.
1: Which I could understand, actually. There's some sense to that. Yeah. Uh, reputation is everything in that day and age, because if you've got the few people in your community who won't trade with you or won't do business with you, you're screwed.
0: Yeah, pretty much.
1: <laughs> so there is a bit of weight to that. I just feel like this is the most probable. However, I do want to come back to theory one and theory three.
0: Okay, go for it.
1: Could it be both? Could we have the first lot being Kate and Lucy? Is that the right names? Yes. Um, the first half of it, and then actually the teacher using, using the legend that has come from the first wave to then get his using it as a way of getting Elizabeth to marry him.
0: It seems very interesting that there's nothing from the witch for a while. I think there's a year of silence, and then when Joshua Gardner proposes to Elizabeth Bell, that witch is back. Because with I've, a vengeance
1: I might be wrong I've always taken notes but I didn't write anything down anything particularly happening to Lizzie Bell this time more around Jonathan Joshua Garner right
0: yeah only that she had seen this yeah. woman in the tree who... so that's
1: this is, the, but this is my sticking point right because either it's not natural or Lizzie has to be involved
0: I don't know why you're calling her Lizzie by the way
1: because I, that's how I wrote her name down because oh. I couldn't be wrong to write Elizabeth and we had Elizabeth last week didn't we
0: yeah, she's called Betsy the whole way through, okay. but I felt like Elizabeth was stronger.
1: So Betsy, Lizzie, Elizabeth, Eva is telling the truth about this weird little woman, which I don't think either Kate or um Dick, <laughs> Kate or Dick could have fabricated, unless they're carrying around a little old lady with them. So either she's telling the truth or she's involved which would then go back to it being theory 2 and i'm now really confused cuz before you started laying all these series out i was going with the thing about the animal to start with but actually my sort of real brain logic was going the two the being two set actually being two separate instances of them being exploited by outsiders but now i'm confused because i don't know what to do about this little old lady swinging from the tree
0: unless it just didn't happen
1: yeah but why would she say it if it did
0: Because if she's involved...
1: Yeah, but that's what I mean. If she's involved, then why would she be involved in both stories? She could have just ditched Joshua Gardner herself. But I guess... Ah, but Richard was married.
0: So Richard was married and asked Elizabeth Bell to marry him immediately after his wife died. Make of that what you will.
1: What if Kate and Lucy, who were so successful at poisoning her husband, were then like, right...
0: Poison the business. Here we Let's go.
1: Poison the wife. Get our daughter fixed up with his school teacher. Restore some of the um, respectability of the family name. Boom. Sorted. True crime podcast.
0: Apparently, there is still paranormal activity in the house where the Bell family used to live. Yeah, I'm not surprised. Or on the land, people I mean. died. Like yeah. people were poisoned. Well, we don't know if John Bell was poisoned. You know, we don't actually know if that happened.
1: Well.
0: Allegedly it did. Wow. But it's a good story, right?
1: But I also think that actually, without no, like, that, discounting that entire story, I feel like plantations and farms where slavery was involved, there was a lot of hurt and anger and emotions and that could lead to a haunting without any of that stuff happening.
0: Yeah, there was a lot of really negative things yeah. that went on outside of extortion and exploiting people. Yep. Um, like slavery was massive. And by the sounds of it from the story, like John Bell had lots of slaves and traded in slaves. So yeah, you're right. There would have been a lot of anger and a lot of maltreatment of people. And, you know, you'd wonder if maybe for John Bell... If he did exploit and extort money from people, maybe it was a manifestation of his own guilt. Who knows?
1: It could be. I liked him to start with in the story because he was the first person that was being haunted to take your approach and not my approach. Because in all these stories that we look at, when they're being haunted, they're like, oh my gosh, it's a demon. Zach Bagan's Daniel Wizard style. But this guy was like,
0: I've had a hard day at work.
1: I might have just made it up.
0: He just never told anybody. It was
1: just like, yeah, it was probably me. Like, it was just thinking really logically and coolly about it. It wasn't going, oh my gosh, that dog has a rabbit head, which...
0: (laughs) So that demon got confused halfway through transformation. I knew it. I knew this was going to (laughs) happen.
1: It wasn't turning the gun on himself out of fear. It was like, oh, maybe I just imagined it. And then he just got about his business. And I was like, oh, that's good. And then as it went on, I was like, okay, he's a bit of a scumbag.
0: So we've established from this story that essentially...
1: It was a demon.
0: It was a demon who got sort of bizarrely confused in transformation and, and then, ended up as a dog-rabbit hybrid and then got pissed off that yeah, it was shot had at.
1: Some, had got created some beef out of nothing, basically.
0: Well, I don't know if it's out of nothing, because if you ended up as a dog with a rabbit's head, you'd be pretty pissed off too. And then, and on top of that, to have someone shoot at you, oh, you'd but be it was so only, that was
1: only the, That was only the demon's form for that minute, just at that moment of time. <laughs> and actually, had the guy, had John just, carried on farming and and like just looked up and glanced and not looked at it properly and just saw it was like a dog or a a deer or something. He might have just carried on going about his business. The demon would have carried on looking at his land, gone on to the next bit, see what the other people were doing. But no, it's just circumstance. Accidentally, John Bell spent a little bit too long looking at him, saw the rabbit head, got scared, shot at him, demon beef, boom.
0: Would you like some new reviews? Go for it. (laughs) (laughs) Review number one comes from Crest of the Wise. And it says, addictive and enlightening. I'm new to listening to podcasts. However, I found RLGS on Luminary and I haven't stopped listening. Emma and Dan are fantastic to listen to. I feel like I'm sitting right there with them, much like listening to friends talk. I love their accents from the USA and a lover of all kind of accents and particularly the banter between them. Thank you so much.
1: From uh, T. Crest the Wise, from Dan the Dumb. Thank you very much.
0: Ah, don't be negative about yourself.
1: It, alliteration.
0: I got the alliteration, yeah. but you could say like Dan the Deadly.
1: If everybody would know that, would just be... <laughs> I'm the biggest wimp in the world.
0: <laughs> and review number two comes from Beatrice Rose. A reason to love Mondays. As a massive fan of the spooky, many of the paranormal podcasts out there annoy the hell out of me for various reasons, but not this one. I'm a big fan of being able to hear the actual stories without constant unnecessary commentary from the hosts. Don't get me wrong, there is commentary, but it doesn't get in the way. It must be good as my lovely partner, Paul, pretends not to enjoy the podcast, but will usually end up lurking nearby and chuckling at the host banter, (laughs) much in the same way that he hates the bake-off but never misses an episode. Beatrice, I love you. I'm declaring my undying love for you. Oh that's all oh, that's I obviously only did two reviews okay <laughs> <laughs> so if you enjoyed this week's episode and you would like to share your theory on the bell Witch, you can do so by join by joining our why can't I speak today
1: <laughs> Boy, you're, you're,
0: by joining our Facebook group which is
1: laugh guys sorry super group
0: thank you it's rlgs LGS supergroup. You can find it by, I don't know, typing it into the search bar on Facebook. I don't know what I'm saying anymore. And there's a password,
1: which is uh, Emma and Dan.
0: Yes, that too. You can find us on all of our social medias on our website, which is www.reallifeghoststoriespodcast.com. The link to the website, to our Patreon page, where you can get lots and lots and lots of extra content for $5 or $2 a month. And the links to all of our research is in the description of this episode. And on that note, we shall see you next week. Bye.